Somebody read 23 verses 1 to 7. Okay, so David speaks by inspiration of God about the righteous ruler. You take a righteous ruler who rules in the fear of God. Now, that's what a righteous ruler is. We're not talking about somebody who's got just some good training and, uh, you know, good uh, judicial principles and, on the earth, but somebody who rules in the fear of God. What is a ruler like that like to his country? Like what? Magnificent. Magnificent. What is he comparing to? Like the sun and like rain. You know, the sunlight and the rain is obviously what causes the plants to flourish and grow and be fruitful. A righteous ruler like this is such a blessing to the fruitfulness of his people and his countries like the sunlight and like the rain. God has made this everlasting covenant with David in verse 5. God has made David into this righteous king. On the other hand, there is, are the worthless. You know, every one of them will be thrust away like thorns. You can't touch them. They'll hurt you. And they'll be completely burned with fire. So this is a brief psalm on the righteous king and on the wicked king. The righteous being such a blessing to his people, the sunlight and rain, the wicked being like a thorn. It, it will hurt you, it will prick you. Uh, it will, it will, it's something to be avoided. Comments and thoughts on this little song. Eric. I like that he is described as the sweet psalmist of Israel and in the new covenant we in one sense all become sweet psalmists of Israel. Okay, good point. Kimberly? Um, Verse 3 just it goes to show that it's really important to fear God because we're more likely to obey Him than we fear Him. So we should really pray yeah. for that. Our fear and respect for God is just uh, enormous in our attitude toward Him. Tyler. Question about the psalmist today. Um, ESV says psalmist, but also good note it says it could be the favorite of the psalm of Israel. Is it more like psalmist as writer or psalm as in psalm in and of itself? Okay, we're, we're at the end of verse 1. Right. And what did you have? It says the sweet psalmist of Israel, but I also have a note that says it could be translated as the favorite of the songs of Israel. Huh, I don't know. I don't know anything about that. So. Anybody know something more helpful about that? Other comments or questions? 
Well, we come now again to a list of David's mighty men, his heroes. And uh, there's some really pretty impressive stories in this. Um, and uh, let's start with 8 to 12. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Uh, Joshebeth, Bath, Hebeth, a Tachemite, was the chief of the three. He wielded his spear against 800 whom he killed at one time. Next to him, among the three mighty men, was Eliezer, the son of Dodo, son of Aar. He was with David when they uh, defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel withdrew. He rose and struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary, and his hand clung to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the men returned after him, only to strip the slain. Next to him was Shema, the son of Egi, the Aarite, and the Philistines gathered together at Lehi, where there was a plot of ground full of lentils, but the men fled from the Philistines. But he took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it and struck down the Philistines, and the Lord worked a great victory. Well, interesting. You've got three here. You've got this Joshua Bashabeth, or whatever that uh, name is in verse 8, who uh, killed 800 at one time. That's quite something. And uh, then you had Eliezer, and wow, you know, they were fighting with the Philistines, the Israelites withdrew, but he doesn't. He starts killing Philistines, you know, with a sword, to the point where his hands almost like frozen to the sword. You know, his hand muscles just kind of so, so clenched so long that he just kind of got the sword as a permanent part of his uh, hand here. But that was an amazing thing. Can you imagine? The army withdraws, but you rise up and keep killing them until you're just so exhausted that the sword is just kind of stuck to you. Now, who did that? Well... The Lord brought about a great victory that day. Certainly, we're not trying to say that Eliezer was able to do this somehow in his own strength and power. But I must say that in our age of ease and flabbiness, where we so quickly get you know, wearied and discouraged and give in because it's hard, we need a little bit more Eliezer in us. You know, who's willing to rise up and fight, whether it's anybody with us or not, who's willing to pursue doing the right thing until our hand just sort of gets frozen to the sword. You know, I mean, <clears throat> we are just wimpy in a lot of ways. I mean, I talk to guys in their battles with temptations like, ah, it's just so hard. And it's just so tiring. And it's just like, well, I just want to be over it. Well, yeah, I expect Eliezer wanted to be over it too. You know, Wish they'd just withdraw. Wish the Philistines would just drop dead. You know, make it a lot easier. But it wasn't. And he needed to be there and fight them. So he did. And can God give a victory to one man with a sword on his hand? Well, of course. Can he give you the victory if, if moment by moment, hour by hour, you just keep battling and battling and battling and battling the temptations just keep coming, keep coming, keep coming? The opposition just keeps coming. You think about Paul. Wow. If anybody should have just given in to man, it just doesn't work to evangelize anymore. Look at everywhere I go, there's trouble. But he doesn't give in. We just need more determination. I just really like uh, Eliezer's 
you know, determination in this. <coughs> Thoughts about that? Kelly. Deuteronomy, right, you said you would put one man would put a thousand to flight. I think so. Yeah, somewhere in there. Yeah. Old Testament. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Deuteronomy would be Leviticus too. When it says in verse 10 that the Lord brought the victory, it shows that what makes somebody a mighty man or a mighty woman is their trust in God. Yes. Yes. It's not that, well, I'm just so powerful. Terry. It's interesting in verse 8, it says he was called a demo. That means pleasure in the sword. We should have pleasure in the sword. Amen. We've got a great one. We need to use it. Very good. And, and, and this Shamagai, the Philistines were gathered uh, in this uh, place where there's a lot of lentils and the people fled from the Philistines, but he took his stand in the midst of a plot, defended it and struck the Philistines and the Lord brought about a great victory. Again, you know, Shamma, everybody else has given up, but he takes his stand in this bean patch and he's not going to retreat. No matter what, he keeps fighting. It's discouraging when people we love and are close to and we've trusted defect and give up. And you're going to face that. If you haven't faced that painfully already, you will face it. There are times when it's just like, wow, I can't believe it. I, I thought they were so strong. I thought they'd stay with the fight until the end. And they just gave up. They just quit. They defected the other side. And sometimes it seems like an epidemic. Will you be the one that you're going to fight for, with the Lord? No matter how many leave, if you're there by yourself, you trust the Lord for the victory and you keep fighting. Nobody ever said that there were going to be a lot who would find it. I believe Jesus' words were, few there be that find it. And there are a whole lot that start that falter along the way. So men like this J-Guy and Eliezer and Shammah should be our heroes too and great models for us. It's a shame that we don't know these passages better. Comments and thoughts, Kimberly? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, God didn't say it's going to be easy. God said, I'll be with you. And it certainly is possible. Ethan. I think these, these guys are great examples for trusting in the Lord because God would, they would, God could have brought about a victory, but not through them if they hadn't trusted in God and stood their ground and kept fighting and not give up. I think that's a good example for us, no matter what we're faced with, with fellow Christians fleeing before temptation or falling to temptation or whatever's going on if we trust in the Lord and stay firm he's going to give us a victory Amen Kimberly. I mean I look at Job you know what he went through and he sticked out and he could have gave up so he's a great example he is definitely Alex uh, God, not only, God not only says that it's possible but he says it's worth it Amen and it is other thoughts Cameron. We have to be willing to give up our lives, too. These men probably didn't expect to survive it. They didn't expect to kill and kill and kill. Eventually, they're going to fall, but they're going to do what they can. And sometimes it feels like 
Well, it's not worth it. I'm going to die, and they're going to overwhelm anyways. We still got to make our stand be ready to die for Christ. There are those who've died for Christ, aren't there? Some of our brothers in the past. And, uh, you know, what a privilege it would be if someday persecution really arose against Christians, and if we were privileged with the opportunity of, of standing firm for the Lord and sacrificing our life for the cause of Christ, that'd be an awesome thing. Remember? It reminds me of the apostles in Acts when they were like still in jail, and when they came out, they were like rejoicing because they suffered for Christ. Amen. In the uh, in the Old Testament, there's three passages that point to a mighty God. One of them is, uh, is Isaiah's messianic prophecy of the birth of Jesus. And you look at Jesus' life, and he wasn't necessarily he doesn't give examples of might as far as strength, but his whole life is about his his righteousness and just about how we talk about the people. Might comes from um, your beliefs and um, you know your strength and your belief in the Lord, and, and it just kind of shows that. You know, real might isn't necessarily brute strength, but just your, your stand with God and, and righteousness. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Seth? It reminds me of uh, Paul in 2 Timothy 4, 16 and 17, when he said, um, At my first offense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Um, it's it's the the verse that the song where no one stands alone is is based off of that no matter if you feel completely and totally alone if God is standing with you you aren't alone um, it's impossible to stand alone when you have God on your side that's a good point that's exactly right yeah amen other thoughts Megan that also has parallel to Jesus because like everyone deserted him. But he still had God. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yes. I feel like it kind Sarah. of goes both ways, like not to have your faith shaken by those whose faith is wavering, but then also just to make sure that you're not somebody who's discouraging others because your faith isn't strong enough, or that sometimes you give up because you never know who that can be affected. Mm -hmm. That's a good point, also. Mm -hmm. Amen. Other thoughts? Good, good comments. How about 13 to 17? And three of the 30 chief men went down and came about harvest time to David at the cave of Adullam, when a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. And David said longingly, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and carried and brought it to David. But he would not drink of it. He poured it out to the Lord and said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who went at the risk of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. these things the three mighty men did. Wow. <laughs> this is an interesting story. David is fighting the Philistines and, you know, he just makes a, a kind of an offhand remark about how he wishes he had some water from the well of Bethlehem. Remember, he grew up in Bethlehem and, and probably those were calmer days and more encouraging days and, man, I wish I could drink from that water from the Bethlehem. Well, he didn't really mean anything by that. You know, certainly didn't intend for anybody to get it for him, but 
his men are so loyal to him that it's sort of like his wish is their command. You know, they wanted to please him. So what do they do? How do they do that? Yeah, they have to break through the, the line of the Philistines somehow to manage to get to the well of Bethlehem and then I suppose break through it again to come back with the water. That, that's amazing courage. You know, they, they really put us to shame. Who, do, who, who among us has the guts to, to withstand something like that? And, you know, our, the things we get intimidated by are so minimal compared to that. But they, they, they serve David, they love David, and they want if David wants water from the well of Bethlehem, they're going to get it for him and risk life and limb to do it. And they, they bring it to him. I mean, you know, we serve David, a much greater David. Is his wish our command? Or would we be willing to break through the line of the enemy to bring a, a water from the well of Bethlehem for, for our king? If that's what he wished? You know, it's almost like, well, do I have to? You know, will, will, he, will he damn me if I don't? You know, instead of, man, would that make him happy? Would that, was that what he would like? Is that what his wish really is? You know, I, I want to do it for him. What does David then do when they come and bring him the water he probably was not expecting? What did he do with it? He poured it on the ground. Wow. I think when you first read that, it's like, well, after all that. But do you understand what David was doing and, and how he explains this? He compares it to their blood. Do you understand that? Well, there's a lot of that says so to not drink the lifeblood. So yeah. Yeah. Did it drink copper? Yeah. I think the work he had. Yeah. The mighty men could have died to get it. So, in a sense, what's he drinking? It's almost like he'd be drinking their blood. This water is too precious. It's been gotten at too high a price to waste by simply self-indulgently drinking it. He feels like that's too trivial a use to put this water to that really, when it's all said and done, is the blood of these warriors of his. Only the Lord would, would be worthy enough to receive it uh, as an offering. You know, so he pours it out to the Lord. Uh, you know, no, no, other, no other being, certainly not David, is good enough to receive an offering this costly. I suspect that was very encouraging to his men to see David's self-denial in that and to see how much he valued what they'd done. It was so valuable he couldn't drink it himself. He had to give it to God. There's just a lot of really good spiritual attitudes in this, in this little section. Comments and thoughts? Elizabeth. to him but just think about like how you treat your friends and your sisters or your brothers or um, people you're close to when they ask you to do something that's really simple 
can you go get me a glass of water? And we like begrudgingly do it sometimes. And yet these men risk their life for an offhand comment. Good point. Good lesson. Right. As, uh, in verse 15, it's, it is cool that David, he didn't even ask the mighty men to go get it. He just kind of hinted at it. And if God had hinted something to us, would we still be willing to do it? Or are we just like, oh, well, that's not a command, so I'm not going to do that again. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think that's a requirement. I mean, will that cause you to be lost? You know, I hear people saying that sometimes. Well, are you sure that that's something that's going to be a salvation issue? So all we care about the Lord is just getting salvation out of him and it doesn't matter what he wants? I, to me, that's just really not an appropriate attitude to have towards him. Caleb? Uh, it's interesting how um, you can see how David has changed since in the battle where Absalom died, he wasn't even congratulating his men. And now he's um, praising them highly. Good point. Yeah, this is a much better attitude toward his men and a, an appreciation of what they risked for him. And he didn't show that with Absalom. I think that was really out of character for him with Absalom and, and based upon those situations with Absalom. Good, good observation. Yes. Tying into what Liz said about um, us serving each other, and I think that that can also be worship to God. It can bring praise to him, kind of like what David did with the water that we brought him. Good point. Yeah, that's a sacrifice to God according to Hebrews 13, 16. Good works. Other thoughts and comments? Josh? Uh, this perhaps is inconsequential, but is, I've always wondered about drink offerings. So is this something to help us maybe understand a concept behind pouring out a drink offering? It's kind of like what we see through a couple points in the Old Testament, even Paul kind of references about his life. Or <laughs> Okay. Well, I mean, certainly there is a kind of a parallel between pouring ourselves out for God and the pouring out of a drink offering to God. Now, if, I'm not sure what to say about the function of drink offerings. To me, the drink offerings and the grain offerings were often kind of accompaniments to the sacrifice. I think almost in the sense of giving a complete meal, not just the meat, but the bread and the, the drink as well. Uh, but... There's a lot I don't understand about sacrifices. So. I've heard that the drink offerings were used to help burn the sacrifices. They had a little bit of alcohol in them um, to help as, as fuel, perhaps. Hmm. I don't know. Certainly they were accompanying offerings. Rarely is there a drink offering offered by itself. Numbers 28 and 29, I think, especially, you know, gives kind of a, I don't know, a table of what grain and drink offerings are appropriate to accompany each sacrifice. Tim. I don't know. Well, to me, with the five major types of offerings in the Old Testament and Jesus' fulfillment of those offerings, the drink offering is like Jesus pouring out his life. So in some ways, um, David pouring out the life of these men like in pouring out the water, it's kind of like a similar idea. It's the life that's being given. I agree. Chuck. Oh, it's just an obvious statement, just going off what Eric said. Like, God, God has definitely more than hinted at his will um, through his word, and that's just, I, don't know. I mean, that's completely obvious, but it's a lot more powerful than David saying, oh, I wish I had some water, and then his men doing it, and then God saying, these are the things we should be doing, and us ignoring it. Yeah, or us saying, well, we'll really condemn it. 
And coming off what he said, like that's why it's so important to know his work because we know what he's going Yes, because we want to please him not. That's exactly right. Other thoughts? Seth? It's so obvious that David has their hearts, that their service was, was with their whole heart, soul, mind, body. They were willing to give everything for David. <coughs> that it wasn't a matter of, do I have to do this? Do I have to do that? It's a, it's a matter of, this is what will please my master. This is what I'm going to do. Um, and that's our that's got to be our service. Yeah, and that's love. You know, love is not seeking for ourselves. Love is wanting to serve, wanting to give, wanting to please. And and that's what you see in these men. I think just a great pattern and model for us in our service to the greater David. Other thoughts? Yeah, Evan. So you, you were talking about someone asking, is this a salvation issue? Well, you might be able to make the case. And I, I say might in quotes, it's a salvation issue. If we're not loving God to where we're wanting to do what he says and everything he says, then it's a salvation issue because we don't love God. So it may be a salvation issue if we ask if it's a salvation issue or not. <laughs> you know, if, if we wouldn't do what the Lord wanted, if we thought we wouldn't be condemned for it, it just would displease him then what do we show about ourselves? We're not so concerned about pleasing God, we just want to get. As long as, as, long as what we're getting is going to, be, going to be there, that's all we care about. And we've got to change that mentality. Ever. And so often we're, we have the mentality that we're in the club. You know, this is what we do with our friends, with our neighbors, with our family. It's just part of the club, and as long as I meet the minimum requirements to be in the club, I'm, I'm all right. Yeah, yeah. And um, I, at least in my experience, the church is infected with it. It's easy for us to do that. It's easy for us to want to just please each other instead of wanting to please the Lord. Yeah. Kimberly. Okay. Um, I think of first Corinthians. Yeah, you're right. Elizabeth. Do you know when this situation happened in David's timeline? I don't. Anybody know? The parallel account in um, Chronicles shows that it was right before they took the city of Jerusalem. <laughs> okay. Thank you. What was that reference? Um, I think it's First Chronicles 12 or 13. Okay. Yeah. Had not uh, considered that, so that's all. All right. Uh, other thoughts or comments? Seth? I believe Jesus would argue that giving your heart to God is the only salvation issue. It is the greatest <laughs> commandment. Love your, the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and the second is like it. Good point. Logan? Reminds me of uh, 2 Chronicles 25 where Amaziah said that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but not with his whole heart. Yes. Yeah. Got to watch the heart. That's a key thing. We've got to love the Lord. We've got to seek his will. We want to please him. And we want to have the attitude that his wish is our command. Okay, very good. Very encouraging to uh, be together and uh, sharing these things. I appreciate that a lot. We are going to take a break to eat and then... Uh,